You remember the movie The Matrix? Hmm? Different colored pills, which one do we take? The Shahada is taking the green pill, is to be green pilled. Hmm? Because you see the world and you see beyond the surface of the world. And to the extent that you are a mu'min, you will have this mushahada, you will have this ability to see the, the light behind the form. You will see things in three dimensions, not just in two. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala akramil anbiya'i wal mursaleen. Sayyidina wa Maulana wa Habibina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi yassir wa a'in ya kareem wa iftah bil haqqi innaka al-fatahu al-alim. Alhamdulillah, once again, the year has gone round because uh, everything in this dunya goes in circles, including the human life. And here we are once again at the beginning of this challenging but unique time, the month of Ramadan, the month where so many things seem to come together. The month of the Qur'an, the month of the Taraweeh, the month of the fasting, the month of Sadaqah, of the special zakat, so many things come together at this time, it's very intense, it's very concentrated. And we recall at this time the status of Islam as Deen al-Fitra, the religion of the fitra, which we always struggle to translate. Primordial natural disposition really just means nature, or it just means our creaturely selves. Fitrat Allah, alati fatra nasa alayha. Allah's fitra, according to which He created human beings, it's our, our proper createdness. And that this is reflected at this time, which seems strange. What could be more against nature than to go against these basic natural needs? It seems to be an unnatural time. <clears throat> But in fact, if we look at human history, we find that fasting is one of the very, very oldest and also one of the most universal human practices. Kutiba alaykum al-siyam kama kutiba ala ladina min qablikum. Fasting is prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those who came before you. Very many before us, even in ancient times. Go to primordial peoples, peoples who are still living, some mode of engaging with nature directly. Uh, they'll always have traditions of fasting. Every religion has traditions of fasting. We know in Judaism they keep the Yom Kippur, and for Orthodox Jews there's six fasting days traditionally in the year. The Christians have Lent, they're in Lent right now, observing it in very different ways. They're supposed to fast before taking communion in the Catholic Church. The Hindus have forms of fasting which is often nil by mouth like ours for an entire day. Universal. 
The benefits of this, well, there's medical benefits that everybody talks about and perhaps talks about too much because this is not some kind of diet. It's healthy. Fast and be healthy. But it's not there for our outward health alone. Nowadays it gets in the headlines. We also Sadiq Khan yesterday in London opening the Ramadan lights in London that some Muslim benefactor has paid for. Why not? In multicultural London where one in every seven people is Muslim and hence Mukallaf required to fast in Ramadan. Why not? Maybe there are more people who believe in Ramadan than believe in Christmas. They have the Christmas lights. Football Association also. Famous match two or three years ago. Leicester City and Crystal Palace, Premier League teams. They stopped the match so that the Muslim players could break their fast. Just for a minute. I think probably it was some horrible energy gel that they stopped for not proper dates and things, but nonetheless, this is part of our reality and increasingly salient in our cultures. So even though these other umam, those who came before us, had this prescribed for them, for us it seems to be a particularly big deal. There isn't really another religious community that will stop a Premier League football match for some form of ibadah, So everybody does it, but we really do it. It's intensive in this very intensive time. But the purpose of it is what we need to think about. And what we want to talk about today is this paradox. We are part of nature, part of the green planet. And yet in this important pillar, one of the five pillars we are required to step back from nature. Or rather, to step back from that part of our natural selves, our fitra, that craves immediate uh, refreshment from the endless cornucopia of the gifts of the organic world. So how does this fit? The religion of fitra, but at the same time, the religion of fasting, big fasting. How is that going to work? Well, there's a number of ways of thinking about this. And of course, the Quranic ayah, which we started with, goes on to say, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ That kind of gives you the reason. That perhaps you may have taqwa, or so that you may have taqwa. And taqwa, again, like fitra, so difficult to translate. Piety, God-fearingness, God-weariness. Uh, we all know, every Muslim instinctively knows what it means. Hmm. It means that inner awareness mm, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unceasingly watching and that his judgment is the only judgment that matters. That really is what taqwa means. It's an inner thing. You can't see it. You can't put it on a table. You can't show it in a window. You can't make a picture of it. Taqwa, ha <coughs> As he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ashara ilal qalb, he pointed to his heart. The taqwa is in the heart. Heart is where we are fully human. So then there's something about our taqwa bound and oriented and uplifted humanity that is within the heart, that is also part of the fitra, 
part of being in the world, but not quite being of the world. Let's think about the origin of the human situation. Not the pre-origin, the day of Alastubirabbikum, when nobody was eating or drinking and uh, the natural order really uh, was not accessible, but rather the Garden of Eden, paradise, Jannatu Adn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after the story, and it's all there towards the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, after the famous story when he creates Adam and says he's going to be the Khalifa, inni ja'ilun fil ardi Khalifa, and the angels bow down as instructed, usjudu li Adam fasajadu illa Iblis. They all bowed down, but Iblis didn't. Abba, he refused. Wastakbara, he was proud. That was really the fall, the first apparent possibility of disobedience to the omnipotent, omnificent, omniscient deity. It was his fall. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُلْنَا يَا آدَمُ اسْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجُكَ الْجَنَّةِ وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا وَلَا تَقْرَبَا هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةَ فَتَكُونَا مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah says, O Adam, dwell with your spouse in the garden and eat therein wherever you will, without limit. رَغَد, it means expansively, effusively. But do not approach this tree lest you become amongst those who are in a state of zulma, darkness. Zulma. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nurul anwar, nuru samawati wal ard, the mystery of zulma. Difficult one. What could it mean in Allah's luminous world where He is constantly present in all of His names and His knowledge and His scrutiny? Huh? for there to be shadows? That's a strange paradox. Why not just light? Well, one can get too philosophical about this. But this is the language that the Qur'an, which is not a book of philosophy, speaks, and it speaks to our heart. Adam and your wife, do not be amongst the zalimin, the people of the shadows, people of the darknesses of the zulumat. And you could go that way if you approached this tree. Shajarat al-Khuld, not the tree of knowledge, the tree of eternal life. In the book of Genesis, it's the book tree of knowledge. In the Quran, it's the book of eternity. It's the tree of eternity. Well, the ulama have had a lot to say about this, and it's all about the human desire to go on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is the fully eternal, the one who is beginningless and endless, al-awwalu wal-akhir. Human beings, we want to have extra years of life. If only I had another 50 years, another 100 years, another year, the dying man thinks, just another day would be nice. We have this desire to go on. But because we are part, in our infleshed forms, of the natural order of the world of fitra, that can't be our fate. We are in a cycle like everything else. And so when we want 
something better than that cycle, which is part of the divine wisdom, that we're born, we're babies, we're children, we become strong, we become weak, we die. If we want to improve on that, then that's a rebellion, that's marcia, and that's quite grave. And it's a misunderstanding that Adam has. It's not that he wants knowledge. There's nothing wrong with wanting knowledge. Rabbi Zidni Ilma, Allah says that we should say, Oh Allah, oh Lord, increase me in knowledge. A tree of knowledge would be pretty nice. But no, the tree of eternity, hmm, that's where your participation in fitra becomes disturbed. But paradise, whenever we step out into virgin nature, and we feel our hearts leaping and our stresses falling away. That is not just because there's something intrinsic in organic matter that has some kind of magic pharmaceutical effect. It's deeper than that. It is because when we are amongst those things, <coughs> there is a recollection, a memory. We haven't quite forgotten we haven't quite forgotten that we were with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he said, Alastu bi rabbikum. We all said, Bala shahidna. Yes, there is within each of us, as part of the fitrah, a longing to return to that state where Allah was there, present, witnessed. Bala shahidna. We all have that. Human beings naturally have that desire to return to unity and to escape from the confusing pain and stress and anxiety of clashing multiplicity. But we also have another nostalgia, which is to return to the garden, the paradisal realm. And that is why human beings tend to have two nostalgic experiences. Whether they're believers or not believers, they have this mystery, the great the great mystery, the enigma of life. What am I doing here? Why am I conscious? Why are there other humans? The big mystery, the enigma, which takes two forms. First of all, when we remember the one, the mystery remains because <laughs> how much can we understand? Uh, but there is a great healing. By the remembrance of Allah, hearts find tranquility but the other remembering is that human beings as they go through life don't just want to know about truth thirsty for truth desperate for truth one of the uh, great Muslim poets has a rather kind of funny poem about a housewife and she's a new mother she doesn't know too much <laughs> and her new baby is crying so she thinks hmm baby's hungry what do human beings Benny Adam like to eat uh, so she finds a beautiful kebab kofta and kibber and I don't know what and she offers it to the baby the baby keeps on crying and it's kind of a nuisance. A baby is designed to have a cry that's disturbing, like a smoke alarm. You can't really concentrate on anything when baby is crying. 
So she thinks, well, maybe something sweet would be nice. So she goes to the sweet shop and she buys some Turkish delight, lokum. She tries to feed it to this newborn baby. The baby keeps crying. <laughs> Not a very good mother. And then finally, Fitra kicks in and she realizes you know, what the baby needs, which is milk. And the baby drinks from her and is quiet. Now, the point of this little poem is that that's all of us. In this dunya, we're all kind of crying babies because what we're given by dunya is not what we want deep down. Even if we have a flashy new car, after a day or two, the worries will return. Maybe it's scratch, maybe it, all of that. It never brings you the serenity that you hope for. Uh, what we need is the milk of the knowledge of the divine. That's the nourishment we need. Al-haq, truth. Human beings need truth. Without truth, we wander around. Without truth, we find morality difficult. Without truth, everything seems overwhelming, anxiety-inducing. The second recollection is that we need what is green. This greenery that is the recollection of our primordial home. To the extent that we see nature in its natural state, far from the roar of a motorway or light pollution, to the extent that we see it, we feel something coming across our hearts, which is a yearning, but also a sense that in this nature we are at home. It's a strange feeling. You step outside your nice centrally heated house uh, in Cambridge and uh, you go out into the March winds, but something happens to you. You feel you want to breathe in. You feel that you're leaving one sort of home and entering a different sort of home and you can look up. You can see the heavens. So this is human nature, we are nostalgic. And both of these things are forms of love. It's not just a kind of abstract knowledge, I know the answer to this equation. It's not cold like that. It's warm because it's from the heart. The heart beats with the divine name, Allah, Allah, Yad Dasht to hold this recollection constantly. That's what we need if we're to function correctly. So, as human beings, we have not just the need for this knowledge, but the love for that knowledge. And this is part of the learning process. One of the great ulama used to say, uh, gain love for knowledge so that one day you might gain the knowledge of love. In other words, you'll understand what it is about the human being that can love animals, other things in creation. They can be affectionate, I guess, to each other. But this love business, this mahabba, is proper to human beings. And when we see things that are appropriately lovable, that spiritual capacity in us 
is starting to wake up. So that's what we are. We are homo sapiens. We are knowing humans, but we are also homo amens, you could say, the creature that, that loves. And through that love, we inhabit our humanity much more fully than we do when we just inhabit knowledge of things. This is important in our religion. So when we think of Ramadan, we think of this paradox, which is how is it that we are in nature and we love nature and nature is a kind of healing and yet hands off for a few hours. Well, let's consider a very interesting saying by one of the early Muslims whose name was Hatim al-Asam, Hatim the Deaf. Lots of stories about why he's called Hatim the Deaf. Uh, and he was the disciple of somebody called Shaqiq al-Balkhi. These are all from the area of Balkh, which is nowadays in Afghanistan. <coughs> Shaqiq's teacher was uh, Ibrahim bin Adham. Famously, he was the prince who made tawbah and went out on the road in order to seek knowledge and to seek Allah. Maybe some of you have heard the story. He was asleep. He was a man who believed in God, but he was living in his enormous palace in Balkh. And one night he wakes up in his royal bed and he hears a noise coming from above him. Kind of scratching sound. And he realizes there's somebody on his roof. Somebody on his roof. So he goes out and up and onto the roof, flat roof. And he sees a man who's kind of wandering around looking for something. He says, what are you doing on my roof? I'm the king of Balkh. And the man said, oh, I've lost my camel. I'm looking for my camel. <laughs> so Ibrahim ben Adam says, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. How are you going to find a camel on a roof? And this man looks at him and said, how are you going to find Allah in a palace? <laughs> so this was a sign to him. And something fell into his heart. And he realized that he had to leave all of this. And so he went out on the road and he became a great teacher of hadith and a great teacher of the inward sciences of Islam, Ibrahim ben Adham, very famous figure in our, in our story. So his disciple was Shaqiq al-Balkhi. So many stories about these people. Shaqiq al-Balkhi, famous trader, merchant, quite wealthy. Um, maybe some other time we can discuss some of the tales that are told about him and how he came to his tawbah and his falling in love because tawbah is about falling in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and falling out of love with false loves and then Hatim al-Assam even though he was from this area in Central Asia and his Arabic wasn't great he went to Baghdad and in Baghdad he became a famous debater defending the teachings of the Ahl-Sunnah in a city that was full of Mu'tazilites and Jabriya and Ghulat and Hashwiya and Baghdad was full of all kinds of things and he was famous for always winning the arguments. 
Uh, and he was asked, why is it that you argue so well? And he says, well, I have three principles. <laughs> Academics should listen to this. I have three principles. First of all, whenever my adversary makes a good point, I praise him. Whenever, secondly, whenever my adversary points to a weakness in my argument, I'm grateful. And thirdly, I always assume that everybody is sincerely seeking the truth. So evidently, because of this sincerity, his arguments were made powerful, and this is why Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal regarded him as one of the great defenders of the Ahlul Sunnah in Baghdad in that time. But in any case, uh, he has a number of interesting things which we might want to reflect on, which lead into this paradox of why hunger is part of fitra. He used to refer to the development in the life of the believer as having four major elements or stages. And he used to, and this is part of the Central Asian tradition, describe them as four colors. There's the green stage, there's the red stage, there's the black stage, and there's the white stage. There's lots of explanations in Islam for why these are the four colors that are associated with the religion and why most flags of Muslim countries have these four colors. We don't need to go into that. Much of it is kind of legendary. But what he's saying is the green stage is to look to what you are wearing. Why is it that Omar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu, Somebody once counted 17 patches on his thawb. Well, you don't have to be that threadbare. The sunnah is to be smart. Uh, but you must not be attached to that. And this he calls the level of green. And then the red level, enduring harm or suffering. Red is the color of hell, it's the color of suffering, it's the color of trials, it's the color of the blacksmith's forge, uh, the refiner's fire. You have to graciously endure suffering and reverses and misfortune. Mm-hmm. And then the level of black. Mukhalafatun mm-hmm. nefs, going against the ego, the lower self blackness because it's a kind of void not following the lovely, colourful tempting things that dunya is tricking itself out to be uh, but instead a kind of absence and then the white interesting he says al-jur hunger well I suggest it's a important thing there's a famous hadith which says inna shaytana yajri fi bni adam majra dam fadayyiqu majarihi bil ju' the shaytan runs in the veins of the son of adam as does the blood so tighten those veins with hunger So perhaps here we're looking to something that is a bit of an explanation. 
that our participation in the world of greenery, of beauty, which reminds us, however distantly, of our Adamic home, is not just to be tamarroch, in other words, uh, indulgence, the way that animals indulge, but is sometimes to abstain. Even Adam, alayhi salam, and Hawa, alayhi salam, in the paradise, they were ordered to fast. <laughs> so much in paradise was available to them, fast from that tree. Even before, it seems, prayers and pilgrimages and other things, there is this beginning of fasting. Abstain, a tark. And this tark, this abstaining, is what distinguishes fasting from the other kinds of ibadah that we have. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his generosity has not given us just one way to express our obedience and our love for him, but many, several. When Allah knew that you were capable of fatigue, he made a variety of forms of worship for you. And this one is very special. It is paradisal, if you like. Before the so-called fall, there was fasting. Let's think about a well-known hadith which says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards the actions of Bani Adam tenfold up to 700-fold except for fasting for I reward it that's a curious way of expressing it. Allah rewards us for the prayer and the other things we do, the sadaqah and the smile in the face of somebody, tenfold, seven hundredfold. And then he says, but fasting is different. I, re- I reward from it. Well, <laughs> how does that work? And there's other hadiths of the same kind. That, that the believer... The believer only renounces his desire and his food and his drink for my sake. The fasting, fasting is mine and I reward it. He hasn't said this of another form of ibadah. He says that the Kaaba is his house. But the fasting is the ibadah that he describes as being his. The ulama say this has much to do with the fact that the other ibadat in Islam are all about fa'al, doing things. Mm-hmm. So you pray or you don't pray, but it's, it's an action. The hajj is an action, zakat is an action. But fasting is a non-action. It's not doing something. It's a tarq. It's holding back the hand from the shajarat al-khuld, the tree of eternity. 
And this relates it particularly to the divine nature. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in a state of independent of everything. We are al-fuqara'u ilallah, the needy to Allah, and Allah is al-ghani, al-hamid, the independent, the praiseworthy, the owner of praise. We need things, as we discover when we're fasting, we can't go for very long without uh, some kind of energy gel. Uh, we, have, we are needy beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no needs. He is ghani. This is part of his qayyumiyah. And it's part particularly of his name, as-samad. So there's a quality called as-samadaniyah. Samadness, or independent difference. Again, how are you going to translate this mighty divine name, as-samad? The eternal, the independent, the absolute, the free of all wants, everything that is not like ourselves. But when we step into the fasting space and we hear the adhan in the morning, we also become independent to some degree, to a greater or lesser, lesser degree. To a lesser degree, to the extent that we're just thinking about iftar and rubbing our bellies and feeling sorry for ourselves, and that is still an attachment. But the fasting teaches you that actually you can do pretty well for a few hours without food. This is intermittent fasting. Human beings are actually designed for it. If you look at the BBC food and drink website, they'll talk about intermittent fasting and how it's you know, it, it's associated with positive health outcomes. There's something about us, biomedically, which responds positively to fasting. In other words, this tulk, this non-consumption, for a while, for eight hours a day, for 12 hours a day, whatever it is, is actually part of partaking in the natural world. In other words, our full membership of this creation, which is a dim reflection or memory or shadow of the garden, but in which we're very needy, our partaking in this is not damaged by, but is actually confirmed by the fact that sometimes we hold our hands back. And this is probably something that was intuited by very ancient peoples people who lived very close to nature but had certain ideas of boundaries and certain places and certain times which were sacred. This is part of the fitra. Fitra doesn't mean that you just live like a chimpanzee. Hmm? Fitra means that you live in a way that's appropriate to Bani Adam as a full member of the natural order, huh? but not really animalistically. So your capacity to follow these virtues uh, the black and the red and the others is not something that makes you alien to nature but is something that actually affirms your full belongingness to it because in our theology the world is not 
subject to original sin. The world is not even really fallen. Adam was guilty of a zella. It's like a slip. But he was also one of the great prophets. And the prophets are ma'asum, divinely secured from significant sinning. This was some kind of enigmatic slip. And some ulama say that by going down from the garden, he enabled the possibility of human beings going up to the garden. <coughs> and therefore this was actually a gift. Because it's only through going through those four colors that you can experience your full humanity, exercise your will, show the nobility of Bani Adam. Karamna Bani Adam. Allah says, we've ennobled the descendants of Adam. And that doesn't mean you know, swinging through the rainforest like an orangutan looking for the next fruit. No, that's not really nobility. That's that being in its state of nature, <coughs> in its state of tasbih. It's entirely right for it. But we are the ones to whom the angels bowed down. We are the ones who are taught the names. So even though we're fully in this garden-like world, we have a way of being in it, which is to be khulafat. We're kind of responsible for it. Put in modern language, if there's millions of species on earth, there is only one species that can think about and try and find a solution to climate change, for instance. It's one of the key meanings of Khalifa, custodians, guardians, carers, caretakers. Mm. And it is through humanity's slip away from normality into kufr, into the shadows over the last two or three hundred years that has not coincidentally come at the same time as this new fall uh, where humanity has gone out of the natural state which was sustainable in which he lived for a hundred thousand years or whatever it was uh, and enters this world which is increasingly becoming hell-like with global warming but Bani Adam because of this karamna has the capacity to think has the capacity to name to recognize names and has and this is the greatest gift not only to intuit in beautiful things the presence of the divine names uh, but to love those names this love uh, and this is really the essence of the religion and it's one reason why the title of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is habibullah god's beloved why his intercession is accepted this is a particular khasla particular quality of his religion sallallahu alaihi wasallam that it's about love those who have iman are greater in love for Allah the divine essence beyond our imagining but the divine names the divine qualities which are magnificently displayed in the cornucopia of a polychromatic creation very lovable <laughs> can't help but love beauty unless you're very strange, very damaged, very perverse. Uh, who doesn't love something? Who doesn't love beauty? 
An inversion can make you love what's not natural. An inversion can make you love concrete rather than wood. Yeah, that's possible. That's the Iblis upending you and inverting you. But that's not what we truly are. And it's not what will bring this tomatnina, this settledness to the heart. It will bring depression and anxiety and all of those things, which are so widespread in this age which has so material thing, so many material things, but has so many psychological disturbances. We have more and more, but we see and perceive less and less. That's why we're endlessly hungry. So, what this means is that the most important task in this process is to learn how to see correctly and to see with love. Love is the perception of beauty and rightness and symmetry and goodness. When we said Bala Shahidna to the Divine at the day of Alastubi Rabbikum, it was with hearts full of love. How could that not have been a moment of absolute and unconditional love? Where we see reminders, Allah's ayat, wherever they may be, wherever you turn, there is Allah's face. Uh, then we are reminded and we love. So the believer is the one who loves a lot. That's the measure of his iman. To the extent that the believer is always looking for Allah's signs, which are always lovable, then the believer is true and sincere in his Islam. But the weak believer or the munafiq may well be inclined to look for the shadows and not for the light, to look for people's defects, to like discussing people's defects rather than their good qualities, to feel jealous and anxious when we meet people who seem to be better or richer than ourselves, and that's from the lower self. That's from the asfala safilin. Animals, nothing else in creation is capable of that, but we are capable of things like envy and backbiting and slander and harboring a bad opinion of people, unlike Hatim al-Assam, who had a good opinion even of people who were heretics. So, yeah, acquiring this love. So you might say, if you remember the movie The Matrix, different colored pills, which one do we take? The shahada is taking the green pill, is to be green-pilled. Because you see the world and you see beyond the surface of the world and to the extent that you are a mu'min, you will have this mushahada, you will have this ability to see the the light behind the form. (coughs) You will see things in three dimensions, not just in two. Allah's is the east and the west. Wherever you turn, there is Allah's face. Allah has said it. Uh, Are we following that? What does it mean? Wherever we turn, there is Allah's face. Not his essence, which has no place. Uh, But everything that exists is simply the working out in that moment of the actions of the divine names. Because there's nothing else that is capable of doing anything. Uh, the one <coughs> who is in the grip of shadows doesn't see anything except form and a lot of form so his life is likely to be pretty anxious but the one who 
doesn't see the shadows but sees the light cast by the shadows, he's going to be the person who's at peace. On that day, neither wealth uh, nor family will be of any benefit to us except him who comes to Allah with a sound heart. That's what we need, qalb salim. So we need to green pill ourselves and green pill everybody to wake them up out of their false consciousness and to see things properly as they really are to see things simply as the endless coruscating unfolding of the infinitely beautiful and wise and perfect divine names. To the extent that you can see that, you're a happy person. To the extent that you just see the mystery of stuff, you're going to be fairly stressed. However many Mercedes cars you might have in your garage, because nothing is going to come together. So this is where the two forms of nostalgia come together. The nostalgia for al-haq and the nostalgia for the garden, which is like the two shahadas. La ilaha illallah is the absoluteness of the one who is beyond any description. Muhammad al-Rasulullah is the one who explains how we engage with that in the horizontal realm. And to sharia, whose holy law, uh, is nothing other than a way of helping us poor stubborn human beings to see things and to behave properly in creation in a balanced way in a way that is from the fitrah and this fasting absolutely a part of that absolutely a part of that primordial form of worship uh, a form of somehow recalling Allah's needlessness his samadaniya mm-hmm a form of learning that we can say no to the lower self, that we can engage in tahammul al-adha, carrying suffering, that we can engage in mukhalafat al-nafs, going against the cravings of the nafs. It's an important lesson. It's good news. So often we say, oh, I can't resist my urges. Well, Ramadan teaches you that actually you can. Some of the most basic ones you can say no to for hour upon hour. That's one of the great gifts of Ramadan, is that it teaches us this rather important lesson. So for the rest of the year, when we think, oh, I'm going to succumb to that temptation, we remember, actually, I know that I'm capable of saying no, because I've done Ramadan. That's a very great blessing. So in this time, this very extraordinary time, when everything is different, and the shaitan is not flowing quite so much in our veins... Uh, let us try and recall what we are created to be. Worshippers. Worshippers who are in a state of loving servitude to the source of all meaning. Worshippers who recognize the true Qibla and refuse to make their sajda to anything or anyone else. Worshippers who know that in worship is freedom. And in the following of anything else, there is just enslavement to the lower self. Worshippers who rise up towards the light, not those who live their lives confused, rancorous amongst the shadows. This is important. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us a blessed Ramadan, 
to help us to keep the outward ahkam and the rulings of the sharia correctly for this is a way of honoring their forms and their divine source and the prophetic bearer sallallahu alaihi wasallam who gifted us with these forms and may we also have an inward transformation so that as we take a step back from the usual routine of following our cravings and start to recover our true fitra our iman can become a more natural and a sweet thing that we hear the quran more fully that we participate in the prayer more sincerely that we remember the qibla more absolutely and that at the end of ramadan inshallah when we step out of our front doors and hear the birds sing we say alhamdulillah i know what all this means and it is good and it is beautiful and our lord is karim and i'm so fortunate to have the quran which tells me what all of this is about may allah accept your fasting and give you great strength and bring your families together barakallahu fikum wal afu minkum wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh assalamu alaykum this ramadan we're offering you the chance to have your own piece of cambridge central mosque in your own home beautifully framed original brick from our award-winning building with an engraved plaque featuring a name of your choice this is available to the first 300 of you taking advantage of our unique automated system to donate day by day this ramadan so you can maximize the blessing of each day of this special month inshallah i'll be personally presenting this rare gift to you at an in-person ceremony right after ramadan Remember the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the most beloved of deeds to Allah are those that are consistent even if small so this month let's fast pray recite Quran and donate day by day